So our reading now is from uh, Genesis 23. Uh, Genesis 23. And before we read, let's bow our heads in prayer again. Let's pray. Father, we pray once again that you would open up your word to us. And may it live before us. May we see our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Sarah lived for 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went uh, in at the gate at the city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of all the people of the land, But if you will hear me, give, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron And Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout this whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So this is the last chapter uh, in Genesis where uh, the main characters are Abraham and Sarah. And after this, the focus turns 
to Isaac and ultimately to Jacob, uh, and then beyond that to Joseph. So after today, uh, I thought it would be a good point to take a break from the study of Genesis. So this is the last of study of Genesis for a while. We'll come back to it uh, later in the year, I hope, God willing. Uh, I'm very aware that I've said that with a number of books of the Bible, and I've still got a lot of loose ends to catch up on, uh, Matthew, Jeremiah, uh, and maybe some others that I've forgotten about, but uh, we'll try and get back to Genesis later, but it's good to have a variety, a, a variety of scriptural food for us to, to savor together, so let's, uh, uh, we'll do something different next week. But as we come to this passage, uh, it's important to remember what what the New Testament says about Abraham and Sarah. And I I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, And just uh, read uh, two or three verses from there. So Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 11. uh, uh, Sorry, 11 verse 10, rather. Um, And uh, speaking of Abraham, uh, the writer says, For he was looking forwards... To the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand uh, on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And then verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now what that teaches us is... That uh, Abraham and Sarah lived lives of faith, but the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham and Sarah are actually far, big, far bigger than they could imagine. And they actually longed for something far better, far greater, uh, a better country, a heavenly country. And we'll come back to that uh, later. But it's important to to recognize at this point that Abraham and Sarah, uh, having reached this point in their lives, have not received everything that God has been promising them over the last uh, few decades of their lives, from Genesis 12 right through to the current uh, chapter. That's important background for this chapter. Um, Now, seen seen in isolation, uh, this chapter... Uh, is an account of the fact that Sarah um, has died and it records the arrangements that are made for, for her burial. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of a strange chapter. Uh, you might be thinking, what's this got to do with anything uh, spiritual? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it may be of some cultural interest, um, but as a on the face of it, it seems pretty uneventful as a chapter, spiritually speaking. What is, what is God doing? I mean, God is not even, 
isn't even active in this chapter. He's mentioned in passing when Abraham is described as the prince of God. Uh, but actually, that's the only mention of God in this chapter. So what, uh, what's going on? Um, uh, I mean, Abraham's known as a prince. And it's inter- interesting, he's called a prince of God by the Hittites. Uh, now, the Hittites were a tribe really from modern-day Turkey, but they've traveled southward, and they seem to have settled in the, in the land of Canaan. Uh, and so they've established themselves. Uh, and, and Abraham has had a growing reputation amongst them and many others uh, around. Uh, that uh, Abraham has uh, grown in stature, if you like, amongst the people around him. But what's still true of Abraham is that he does not own anything. He does not have anything. So the promise of land has not yet been fulfilled for him. And it's quite, a, it's quite a poignant thought in a way that they're coming to their death and they have not received everything that's been promised. He has been promised the, the, the land of Canaan. And by the end of his wife's life, uh, at this point... All he has is, a, is well, a cave <laughs> in a field. It's, it's tiny compared to the grand promise of God. And he has that so that he can lay his, his wife's body to rest. But as we say that, of course, we have to remember that God's purposes have a far greater, far larger scale to them than we can imagine. That they are far greater than the span of a single human life or even a geographical location. That his promises are fulfilled to a far greater degree than even the original promises would seem to suggest. That the way I kind of look at these promises that Abraham's given, it's like, you know, if I, if I came to you and offered you a free gift of 50 pounds or something. And then I came to you and says, have this thousand pounds instead. Are you going to argue with me? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, God promises something, but he's, he's actually going to give something far greater than that. And that's what we always have to, to bear in mind. Let's step through this chapter and, uh, uh, and, uh, and get ourselves into the story. And the first thing to note about this, I think, is... is is to note, first of all, that death is still the curse for sin. Death is still the curse for sin. The chapter opens with Sarah uh, dying. Uh, Sarah has reached this incredible age to our, our years of 127 years. And to set that in context, that means Isaac is about 37. So his, her son is... 37 years old, a mature man. In the next chapter, we find that he needs a wife. And we'll, not, we'll get to that, in, uh, as I said, later in the year. But, but Sarah has died, you see. And death is a curse upon mankind that comes as a result of the fall into sin. Now, if you're of a scientific mindset, and maybe you've been raised in a scientific mindset, and maybe you're somebody who's, who's utterly committed to science, 
And I've certainly been through a process of becoming a scientist at one point in my life and doing scientific research and so on. And we have other scientists in the room uh, who do uh, work in science. But one of the things you learn is that in order to make progress in science, you need to cut out all other things that you can't control or you don't understand. And you make assumptions about the universe that you work in, you're, you're looking at. And if you're an atheist scientist and you make an assumption that God doesn't exist, then how are you going to explain uh, death? Now, there is an explanation for death, and it comes about because of decay. You know, uh, being a physicist, I think in terms of entropy, you know, everything tends toward a state of disorder and chaos. And so as we are, uh, that doesn't look like it as we're growing up because everything seems to be developing. Our bodies are getting bigger, we're getting stronger, we're, we're becoming uh, more mature, we're thinking better and everything. But there comes a point where you kind of reach the peak of the hill and you start going downhill again. <laughs> Some of you are nodding, you know what I'm talking about. And the reason for that, the physical reason for that, is decay in the universe. It's, uh, your body can't replenish itself, it can't, all the cells can't replace themselves. Uh, accurately every time. And so you get more and more things beginning to fail. So there's a kind of secular atheist explanation for death. And we are raised in that in our education system, aren't we? We think about death in physical terms. But the Bible thinks completely differently about this because it starts from a different presupposition. It starts with God. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1. And death comes because of sin. There's a theological reason. There may be a physical reason. But more important than that, there is a theological reason. Now, you understand that certain things can be explained at different levels. Like, you know, I could, I could explain this in terms of ink and paper, and we could do a kind of chemical analysis of the molecules that make up the paper. But you will not understand what this is by doing that. Because there's words on it. And you know that words come from people. There's a mind that is behind this. There are minds that go put this all together that makes sense. And the same is true of death. We can make sense in a physical sense of death. But until we see that this is God's universe, that he has made this universe, and he's made us in his image to know him and have fellowship with him, we will not, un- we will not understand why death comes properly. That death comes because of sin and that relationship of rebellion against God caused by our sin. So death has a theological basis for it. It's the lot of every man or woman, boy or girl, to die once and after that face judgment. Hebrews 9.27. We come face to face with God. And as you read the book of Genesis, all the way through, as we have done over the last few months, uh, you hear that drumbeat of death coming to every generation. 
Bang, bang, bang. So-and-so died. So-and-so lived so many years and then they died. So-and-so else lived so many years and then they died. And so on and so on it goes. It reminds us constantly that mankind is in desperate need. There is something coming to each one of us from which there is no escape. And I just ask you this morning, are you ready to face death? I know it's not a very cheery subject, but who else in the world can face this except Christians? Are you ready to to face death? And I know some of you young people and you children, you've got all your lives in front of you. And you don't even think about that. You think about the next things you're going to be doing in your lives. And it's all very exciting. And it's great, isn't it? So much of life to enjoy. And things to do and things to discover. But one day, death will come, as it were. The bell will toll and you will breathe your last. And you will come before God. And maybe you're at the other end of the age spectrum. Got to tread carefully there. But some of us are kind of getting on a bit, maybe. Me amongst them. And and we have to face that question as well. We have to face that with some increasing amount of urgency, don't we? Death is coming. I've, I've known some elderly people who simply don't believe that they're going to die soon. Whenever they have an illness, such people always seem to believe that there's always a way of getting better, of getting back to normal. I've heard that so many times. If I could just get back to normal. Uh, I knew someone who was actually on end-of-life care, who still believed that she would get back to normal. And everybody knew she was going to die. Except her, it seemed. It was quite hard to have a conversation with her. You see, death comes to us all. And friends, if you think that it's only non-Christians that worry about dying, uh, or worse, avoid the subject altogether, then I want to challenge you a little uh, So I may be speculating a little bit here, um, and I just want you to think about this question. Uh, I was reading some articles this last week about uh, prayer meetings. I'm always looking for uh, encouragement. How how can we make our prayer meetings better and more in line with what Scripture's principles are? What what does God want us to pray for? Um, And I came across an article uh, called Praying Beyond Health Concerns. And the article begins by noting that often prayer lists or prayer meetings, uh, whether in public or in private, are, are taken up with lists of people who are sick and various kinds of illnesses. And, and so we, when we ask for prayer, it's always the sick that, that people are sick that get raised. And of course, we we do pray for the sick. James chapter 5 encourages us to to pray for the sick. But the article pointed out that constantly dwelling on sickness presents certain ungodly temptations. 
for those who are, sometimes for those who are asking for prayer, um, and sometimes for the rest of us. Um, and those are bad enough, and I'm not going to go into all those, so I can point you to the article if you want. Um, but I did, as I was reading the article, I did wonder something else that wasn't mentioned in the article. Um, because if, it seems to me that if, if the first thing that comes to mind when asked for things to pray for is, is, the, this, is my sickness or the sickness of other people, and we're, those are the first things that come out at a request, could it be that the underlying reason why it's such a dominant thing in our requesting prayer is actually a sin. There's actually a sin there, which is that we privately fear death. Just think about that. If we're constantly asking and predominantly asking for prayer for the sick and our sicknesses, is it because we fear death? We fear the onset of death coming. You see, illness reminds us of our mortality, doesn't it? The older we get, the more those thoughts come to our minds. And out of fear, the first thing we, thing we want, and the first thought that comes into our minds, is that we want the illness to go away. Lord, So, Lord, take away the sickness. Take away the sickness. Do we fear death? Do you fear death? Friends, you may may be a Christian today, but I just wonder if some of us have a secret fear of death. Death will come one day. So the question is, are you ready for it? Are you learning to trust God even in your sickness? Well, death now comes to Sarah. And I think here death is made all the poignant by the fact that God has made wonderful promises to Abraham and Sarah. Promises that Sarah has heard with her husband. Promises that have changed her life. And as she remained faithful to her husband and went with him in chapter 12 from Haran to a place they didn't know around 60 years before, uh, they became strangers and aliens in a foreign land. And she has been through so much. Think of the occasions when Sarah was obedient to Abraham in saying that she was his sister. But she was effectively abandoned by him uh, as, as the local king, Pharaoh, and then later Abimelech, took Sarah into their households for Abraham's safety. All done for Abraham's safety. And I think Sarah had a share of her doubts. You know, she had her fair share of doubts about the promises of God. Remember her laughing as God promised that she would have a son in a year's time. And she was chuckling away in the tent as she listened to this. Yet, she remained faithful to God. She learned to trust God in the midst of it. And she saw partially the promise fulfilled when Isaac came along. Now she's dead. And not all the promises have been fulfilled in her lifetime. And it's a simple reminder, I think, for us that the Christian life with all its ups and downs means holding on to the promises of God even though 
We do not see them all fulfilled before our death comes. And interestingly, in other places of the Bible, Sarah's life is held up as an example to follow. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? She, I mean, she struggled, she wrestled to believe God, and she laughed and chuckled at all the wrong moments. But now she's held up as a, an example, as I 51 too. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you, for he was, he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Or 1 Peter 3, verses 4 to 6. Let your adorning, speaking to the women, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So ladies... And gentlemen, Sarah is raised up as an example to follow. What a testimony to the grace of God in her life at her death. So Sarah dies, but she dies in faith, gloriously. Here's the second thing. Let's look at Abraham approaching the Hittites, in verses 3 to 6. Abraham needs to arrange to bury his wife. Now, the problem is at this point that Abraham is an alien. He's a foreigner. He points this out in verse 4. He has no property. Uh, He's obviously been allowed to use the land, but he doesn't actually own the land. That's the, uh, the key thing. And it makes him constantly dependent on his hosts. Um... He has no rights to simply bury his wife's body for the, and for the grave to be safe. So he needs to arrange to get some property. And so he approaches his hosts to ask for it. And the response seems quite generous. Firstly, they express their high esteem of Abraham. Uh, you are a prince of God amongst us. Uh, and he has performed some great exploits amongst uh, amongst those men, as he's, remember the battles that he led in chapter 14 uh, to rescue his nephew Lot. And he's become a rich man, Abraham, and he's uh, become a godly man. And he's held in high regard by his neighbors, yet he is still an alien, a stranger, without a place to call his home. And it's a little reminder to us that the man or woman of God is never quite at home in this world. The man or woman of God is never quite at home in this world. I think this is the thrust of the Hebrews passage that we read. Like Abraham and Sarah, we too are aliens and strangers passing through this life. And much as we like to develop a a reputation and even have some wealth and possessions in this life, uh, this is not our home. Because why? Because we desire a better country. A heavenly country. And this is the answer to the fear of death. The fear of not really having a permanent hold on the things of this earth. That anything in our lives could be taken from us at any moment. So what is going to hold us in those moments is the hope of a heavenly country. Like Abraham and Sarah. And the truth is that as people come to, come to trust God through Jesus Christ who has opened a way for us, we now have this expansive view of our lives. 
that is far greater than the common grace benefits that we receive in everyday life. You know, and by common grace benefits, I mean a job, property, uh, savings, families, whatever it is. We have an expansive view. It's far greater than any of that. We see the bigger picture. We see that better city. We have a sense of it. We know there is a better country. There is a heavenly country to which we are going. Well, the Hittites give this uh, gracious response. And, and, they, and they offer him, offer Abraham their tombs. And it sounds great. How nice of them. <laughs> sounds a great uh, suggestion. But all, of course, all that glitters is not gold. Um, there is a problem. And I think if Abraham were simply to have a, a borrowed tomb that still belonged to someone else, he remains dependent and his affairs are not secure. And so Abraham comes back with another more detailed proposal. So, this is, so now we move on to verses 7 through to 11. And uh, uh, we see Abraham, he's uh, maintaining politeness all the way through. He bows to them, uh, but he's persistent. And he comes back with a specific proposal. He wants Ephron, son of Zohar, to give him a cave, uh, the cave of Machpelah on one of his fields. But he doesn't want it as a loan. He wants to have it, to own it, to possess it. And he wants it to be done before the elders. Because so, that's how business is done. That's how witnesses born to the, the agreement. And he wants to own the property outright. And Ephron replies in verse 11, uh, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Now, at this point, Ephron has not mentioned any money. He seems to be offering the cave for free. Just just use it, he's saying. But he also does a subtle bit of maneuvering as well. Uh, Not only does he offer the use of the cave, but he offers the field that that the cave is in as well. And it seems too generous to be true from this Hittite. Abraham has asked for a cave. Ephron has offered the use of a cave and a field for free. But what Ephron is doing, actually, and this is a cultural factor here that's maybe alien to us. What Ephron is doing is inviting Abraham to offer a price. Not just for the cave, but for the field as well. And Abraham, you see, can't get the cave without buying the field too. And so there's another round of of discussion from verses 12 through 16. And finally, Abraham secures a deal. Abraham bows low again. He offers to buy the field. Uh, He wants to buy somewhere that he can own so that he can put Sarah's body in the ground. He doesn't mention a price, but now Ephron almost kind of subtly uh, mentions a price, uh, but he's almost like he's he's not asking for it. It looks like he's not asking for it, but actually he is. Verse 15, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What's that between you and me, between friends? It's nothing. (laughs) And so it's this kind of subtle negotiation that's going on here. And uh, he makes it sound like it's a small amount of money for, for friends, you know. 
Actually, it's a huge amount of money. It's a vastly inflated price. It's massive. And Ephron has to soften the blow and says, what is that between you and me? You're a rich man. (laughs) It's nothing. And so Abraham Abraham accepts it. Why does he pay so much? Why does Abraham uh, pay so much? Possibly so that none of the elders of the Hittites can ever come back and say that was an unfair price and dispossess him later. The deal's done. It's agreed before witnesses. The price is paid. Abraham is now an owner of land in Canaan. And he can bury Sarah in peace. The last four verses, 17 to 20, finish the story. Um, There's a summary of what's been transacted, almost like a legal document, in verses 17 and 18. And in 19 and 20, Abraham buries Sarah, and actually it becomes the burial place for Isaac and Jacob as well. Uh, When Jacob dies in Egypt in in Genesis 50, uh, his sons carry his bones back to the very place. So it becomes a kind of central, uh, important place. So Sarah dies. Nearly finished. So Sarah dies. But it's interesting, isn't it? It's only when Sarah dies that the promise of land begins to become a reality. A small part of the fulfillment of the promise. A token of what is to come in the future. Beyond your own earthly lifetime. And this is, I think, is an important lesson which you find throughout the Bible, that in the economy of God, in a post-Genesis 3 world, the path to tasting and seeing the promises of God fulfilled is through death. In some ways, Sarah has undergone two deaths. In the first she had to die to a nice life in Haran in Genesis 12. And she had to die to her old life and follow Abraham and her husband and trust God, not knowing where she's going to go. In a sense, that's a death to the old life. A new life is coming. So that's one death. The second death is here in chapter 23. And as she dies physically, we see the next part of God's promises being fulfilled that land is coming to Abraham. What does that mean for us? As we think about Abraham and Sarah, their uh, their lives lived in sometimes faltering faith towards God. We see that they have grown in faith. That they have walked with God over a number of decades. And in that faith, we can read, which we can read of more in Hebrews chapter 11, is a faith through which they begin to see more than just a child, Isaac, more than just a bit of land, the field of Machpelah, but they see a better country and a great people. They see beyond the physical blessings to the great blessings of God that are yet to come. Because like a seed, as is usually the case with his promises, the fulfillment of those promises is far, far bigger 
than it seems at first. God promises bigger things, better things. Maybe they take longer than you want, but they are more glorious in their outcome. And they come ultimately through Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the promised seed both to Abraham and to to Adam and to Abraham. That this promised seed came into the world to deal with the death problem. The death that we all fear. Because he conquered death through the cross. And it's a paradox to be sure. That he dies to conquer death. And yet he rose from the dead, showing that death is defeated. And it's his, it's through his death that makes the fulfillment of all the promises possible. Friends, how, does the, how do the benefits of that work of Jesus Christ become like ours? Well, we need to die. We need to die Two, rather like Sarah did at the start, put aside all your ambitions, all your goals and desires for this life. Submit them to Christ and all his purposes. Say goodbye to the old life. Welcome in the new life. Put yourselves at the disposal of this God. And live for him. And let him lead us through our lives. We are called to trust when the promises seem impossible and sometimes worse seem irrelevant to our lives. But we are called to trust them nonetheless. To keep going. To keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. Though there may be many avenues of life that are perplexing and strange to us. To obey the commandments. To do the right thing as the word of God commands, even when it hurts. To keep going and to press on. Learning to recognize that the fulfillment of God's promises lead us to a better country, to a heavenly one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the life of Sarah. Thank you that uh, through her you teach us so much about what it means to learn to trust you. Father, we recognize our own faltering faith and our hearts that are often full of doubts and some of us fear death. But Lord, we pray, lift our eyes to see our risen Savior and to see that better country through him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.